Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and this is my co-host Joey. Hey, how's it going? And today we're joined by a guest. We are joined by Kita. Kita, welcome to Affable Chat. Hi, I'm Kita. I am a friend of the family. I love movies. I love TV, pop culture mostly, and most importantly, Gemma Chan. So thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, and thanks so much for being here. And uh, you're here for an important reason, because today we're talking about Don't Worry, Darling. Welcome to the Victory Project. We're all here because we believe in the mission. What are we doing? Changing, Changing the, world. the world. What are we doing? Changing, Changing the, the world. world. That's right. What do you think they're really doing out there? What do you mean? This is a romantic psychological thriller with sci-fi elements. Directed by Olivia Wilde. The cast includes Midsummer's Danny, Stylish Harry, Captain Kirk, 13, Tish Rivers, Bobby Bottle Service, The Eternal Circe, Diana DiBacheri, Norm from WandaVision, and White House liaison Jonah Ryan. I watched this movie in the theaters. Kita, how did you watch this movie? I also went to see it in the theaters. How about you, Joey? I also saw it the only place available in the theater. <laughs> that is correct. Uh, before we start talking about this movie, we will recap the events in a synopsis that was written by Joey. Uh, Joey, go ahead. Alice and her husband, Jack, have the perfect life. They live in the idyllic town of Victory, which is beautiful, colorful, and completely isolated. It is in the middle of a vast desert with an incredible landscape in every direction. Jack works for a company, also called Victory, which is run by Frank. Frank is fiercely charismatic and gregarious. He founded the company, the town, and all of Victory's residents view him with awe. Every day in Victory is the same. Breakfast in the morning, then Jack leaves for work. Alice stays behind, shopping, attending ballet lessons, and cleaning during the day. Then Jack returns to a delicious feast prepared by Alice in the evening. It couldn't be more perfect for our young couple. While riding the trolley, Alice spots a plane crash. It seems to have landed in the desert. She strikes out to find it and offer help, but instead she stumbles across a strange gazebo-like structure with mirrors for walls. It is located at the top of a mountain. When she touches it, strange visions enter her mind, and then she wakes up in her bed. Jack is failing to make dinner, but he is in good spirits. When Alice asks him about the plane crash and how she ended up in bed, he has no idea what she is talking about. The next day, Alice gets a call from another wife in town, Margaret. She has been having issues. She is making outbursts at parties, frowning and making strange phone calls. Alice tries to dismiss Margaret, but the next thing she knows, Alice sees Margaret slice her own throat and fall from the roof of her house. Alice is freaked out, but before she can reach Margaret, two men in red jumpsuits show up and carry Margaret away. Whenever she tries to ask about it, everyone tells her the same thing. Margaret had an accident. She just slipped. Alice's reality starts to warp and fray. She has violent hallucinations, loses time, and frequently stares into the distance at nothing. But Jack doesn't seem to notice. At a fancy party where Jack gets honored by Frank and a cool promotion, Alice leaves to cry in the bathroom. Her friend Bunny comes in and tells her to pull herself together because she sounds insane. The next day, Alice invites her friends and Frank to her house. 
in a moment alone, Frank approaches her and tells her to keep pushing, that he has been looking forward to a fight. Alice indulges and challenges Frank at dinner. Frank dismisses her easily and everyone leaves. Alice tries to convince Jack that they aren't safe in victory and that they should leave. But instead, he stands by as she is taken by men in red jumpsuits. She gets electroshock therapy and then is sent home. Everything seems like it is back to normal, until Alice recognizes a song that Jack is humming. Suddenly, all her memories come rushing back, and she realizes what is really going on. Jack and Alice aren't really in victory at all. In fact, victory is a virtual reality that the men log in and out of, but the women are trapped permanently inside. Alice's body is strapped to a bed, and her eyes are held open and scanned by little devices. Jack has her wired up to an IV and drips water from a rag into her mouth to keep her alive. He has essentially kidnapped her from the real world and trapped her in this one, created by Frank. Jack attempts to restrain her, but Alice kills him. She runs in the street as the fake reality starts to crumble. Fighting off the other men, she grabs Jack's car and drives into the desert. Alice is being pursued by men in red jumpsuits, but she makes it to the top of the mountain and touches the gazebo, escaping once and for all. All right, those are the events of Don't Worry Darling. We'll begin our conversation by going over our pros and cons for this movie. Kita, what did you like about Don't Worry Darling? Yeah, um, I actually had a couple of pros. Um, I, I think the first one, and I think this might go for a lot of people, um, I think this movie is so gorgeous. I think it's so pretty. Um, I'm easily impressed. So whenever you give me some really beautiful visuals, I just I'm just entranced. So I think that's intentional um, for what the plot of the movie was. But the people were beautiful. The faces, the wardrobe, hair, makeup um, and the setting was really, really pretty. Um, I also really, really love Florence Pugh and Gemma Chan. Um, I knew Florence Pugh was going to be in it and I knew she was going to be outstanding. I completely forgot when I went to the movie theater that Gemma Chan was in it. Um, and so I was really excited to see her beautiful face and her beautiful um, voice. Um, I just love her. And I thought what, it was... What is, I'm sorry, Keto, one, one more thing. What, yes. what is your favorite uh, Gemma Chan uh, work? What is she Stop. most famous for? Okay, so right now, <laughs> <laughs> right now, um, Joe, you're going to be so mad at me for bringing this up. We have a book club. Um, and in that book club... It's not a book club. <laughs> In that book club, um, we are watching humans currently, and uh, we do um, chapters every week. And she is playing an android in that in that uh, Amazon series. And I think so far that is my favorite. Um, I was gonna say Captain Marvel, but I'm gonna be honest; she looked good. But I think I liked humans better. So humans. Okay, okay good answer. Sorry, um, it was fun. The movie was very fun. I had a good time. Um, and it was spooky. You know, it's supposed to be a psychological thriller. Um, and you know, it thrilled. So I, I cannot say it wasn't entertaining when I was sitting in there in the theater. All right. So, Joey, uh, what are your pros for this movie? Akita, I agree with all of those. I think those are all exactly right. I especially like that this movie gave an ex- someone an excuse to dress Florence Pugh in three outfits every day that she was in the movie. <laughs> oh, she Pretty amazing. Good. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's an ambitious story and it's trying to do and say a lot. And I, I really love it for that. Um, I don't think it necessarily executes perfectly, 
but I will give it a lot of credit for trying to do something ambitious. Um, it's an, It's got this eerie setting, this very interesting color choices, unique look and feel to the world. It's set in like the 1950s, but not really. So it's kind of like this interesting twist on that, which I thought was very good. It, the whole movie is unsettling and unnerving, which I found very enticing. Uh, great performances from Florence Pugh, Chris Pine, and Olivia Wilde that really carry the movie's tone and message. You know, the setting and everything and like the weird stuff definitely adds a lot of elements to it, but it's their performances that sell you on this being an unsettling and um, so, like the idea that something weird is going on. Uh, that That's really where it rests on, on those people's shoulders. So I was, I was impressed with those things. What about you, Benjamin? Yeah, I, I, I have to echo you guys on Florence Pugh. She knocks it out of the park again in this movie, and she is such a star, and I love her, so always a treat to be able to see her star in a movie. I, I went into this movie thinking it was a Florence Pugh, Harry Styles like uh, co-star movie. No, this is a Florence Pugh movie that Harry Styles is in, and I'm, right. I, I'm really happy about uh, that. And, and for the most part, I also really like the rest of the cast. Uh, I... Really, I'm a big Nick Kroll guy, and I was so happy to see him in a minor role, but a role that I think he was well cast to be in. Uh, this movie is thrilling without being super scary. I was, I had a fun time, and it didn't make me upset. This makes my ever-growing <laughs> list of movies that will scare you a little bit, but won't ruin your night. I'm not a horror guy. This movie was fun. And... Uh, and yeah, it just it was a fun watch for whatever problems that we're going to bring up. I had a good time in the theater watching this one, uh, which is uh, you know something that I obviously have to put in the pros. Now let's move on to our cons. Keto, what did you not like about Don't Worry, Darling? Yeah, so I'm not gonna try to rip this movie up like I've seen a lot of people do because um, it honestly wasn't that bad. Um, but I will start with the elephant in the room. I will talk about Harry Styles. I will preface this <laughs> by saying <laughs> I was a directioner. Okay. I was, um, I was a big, big one direction oh, fan. Man, you're really coming out here. <laughs> I, I have to tell you, I have to let them, I have to let them know. Um, I really, and Harry was my favorite. So I came into this movie with like, you know what? He's not going to be as bad um, as everybody was saying. And I'm going to be honest, he wasn't. Even kind of taking my direction or bias out of it, um, I thought he was a pro and a con at the same time. Um, I think he did good. I did feel bad for watching him along some really top-tier talent that was cast, though. Like, we brought up Chris Pine, Gemma Chan, Florence Pugh, uh, Nick Kroll, and some others. Um, they were just outstanding, and so I felt like he wasn't giving much it he was there <laughs> and i think that um it didn't really like mess up the film as much as i thought um but i did think he could have been better or at least recast yeah so totally was, yeah i i i echo that so uh, strongly because mm -hmm. a lot of times i i think it's 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 almost an intangible to evaluating how good someone is at like acting you know you, they kind of put on his performance it's hard to put your finger on what like makes it good or not but putting him up against uh florence Pugh in a situation where they both have like uh, i think something that typifies the difference is Absolutely. when they break down yeah so the scene <laughs> where they get in the car and they're like going to leave but not really the guys in the red jumpsuits come and take Absolutely. alice away he freaks out and he's in there mm -hmm. screaming fuck fuck and there's right. a long cut on him 
so long. That was the worst freak out we saw in this movie. <laughs> you compare I that mean- to Florence Pugh over and over again with yes. no regard for self-preservation, just completely melting down and freaking out and p- providing this performance that makes you feel Absolutely. everything that she's going through. It's just, you, he's set up to fail when he's got to do is. the same thing as her uh, in, in a movie like this. I agree. Yeah, Kita, you took the words right out of my mouth, honestly. Like those, it's, it's really his, com- like him compared to everybody else, you know? Because honestly, there's a lot of things that rely on, on Harry in this movie. And I think he does a pretty good job for most of that. But there's one scene in particular when he is with uh, Timothy Simmons, who plays, or Timothy Simons, I guess, who plays Dr. Collins and um, Florence Pugh. Uh, and they're like having that uh, mental evaluation, right? And she, he's trying to figure out what's wrong with her or whatever. Like both of them, like, like Florence and, and Timothy are sitting there and like you can just... I don't know, there's something so amazing about that scene. And yeah. Harry is like a freaking wooden door there. in the background. He's like a piece of furniture. <laughs> right. Like he's he's fine, but he's just not at that caliper. Yeah. And it's 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 tough. I feel bad for it for him, honestly, because it's tough being in that kind of like situation where the movie relies so much on performance and you have such top tier talent and he is just not at that level. Right. Um and yeah, I, I honestly I do feel bad for him, but I did. at the same time, could have been a better movie without him. <laughs> Like, truly. Um, And I will say, I guess when we talk about because he wasn't as bad, I will say I like when he um, interacted with the people in the charming, you know, character that he had to be. I feel like he could have turned it up a tiny bit um, more with how charming he had to be. But I feel like that's just Harry Styles. So I feel like that part wasn't difficult. I think when we did get to the emotional breakdown or even the scenes when he would have to calm down his wife, like he had to calm down Alice, play Kate Alice. I wasn't feeling the urgency for which he needed to calm her down um, because if she were to find out a lot of the what victory would be would be broke, broken down. Um, so I, I was not convinced that he needed her to calm down as much as he needed to. <laughs> um, I guess for my next con is I think the message and the theme of the story is a little overdone at this point. Um, and I think um, we will... Yeah, I think the theme is overdone um, when we talk about uh, feminism, we talk about men um, and their toxic and fragile masculinity. We get it. We understand men suck. Can we get a little bit deeper at this point? Um, I think the theme was very 2013, 2014 to me, um, especially in like the height of the Me Too movement and all these different things. Um, And so I'm I've seen it and I kind of want us to dig deeper a little bit more um especially with olivia wilde um and how she kind of presented the film um in the Mm. first place i i think we could have gotten a little bit deeper with that um so i will say another thing about this theme is when i talk about we get it i was saying you know men who do not fit into the incel type of manosphere culture um don't get the opportunity to think critically about their own patriarchal role in this society. Like I, 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 I see you two very nice young men. (laughs) And at this point it's like, okay, well, at least I'm not like that. And so you don't really get to think deeper about how you guys kind of show up in society and how men show up in society. Cause we, I think it's very easy to see these men 
and cast them as the bad guys. This okay. is what I've been saying for years, Kita. The bar is so low. <laughs> so to low. To be a good guy, the bar is, you could step over it. People you trip can. over it every day. Every but day. it's so freaking low. <laughs> it, it and, is so low. And I agree. We should be raising that bar. Yeah. So, uh, Just yeah, a little bit. We'll, we'll dive into that a little, a little deeper, I think, later on. Absolutely. Um, and I think the last thing I will say about a con is there wasn't enough Gemma Chan. Um, guys, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, I came in with it. Um, I didn't understand her role as much as I would have liked, especially with the reveal at the end. Um, and that gets into the end. I think another con with her included with that. I think the pacing of like the last 30 minutes of like the climax of the film, it made me a little dizzy. I think they were trying to wrap a lot of things up and it just kind of fell through for me. I still had a good time, but I was just confused at the end. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I, I agree with all those. Uh, absolutely. And yeah, I think the climax, I think that's something worth dissecting too, but um, may or may not get to that. Um, for me, it's the world is crumbling. Things just ain't right. Cinematic choices. A lot of that didn't work for me. Um, I had no idea what the nature of the illusion was right was this technical was this fantasy was this a truman show type situation right where there's actors and or like npcs or something not really clear and to me there's not a lot to indicate what exactly was going on early in the movie um yeah i think portraying alice as hysterical seems to undermine the point of this movie in a big way um i think that's a big misstep uh, Harry Styles, as we mentioned earlier, surrounded by a bunch of great actors, makes it makes him look bad. Um, and I think the the metaphor in total, I mean, like the, the nature of the illusion, right, just was incomplete for me, and it was really distracting because I was trying to. I'm willing to forgive a lot of kind of hand wavy sci fi nonsense if you are telling a compelling story and giving an interesting message. Look at everything, everywhere, all at once for a great example of this. This um, movie doesn't hammer home enough what it's trying to say. And I spent too much time thinking about what was going on and what the metaphor actually was instead of focusing on what the message was supposed to be. Um, so yeah, I, I honestly think this movie has an outstanding outline, but its details need a lot of work. One thing that I kind of want to highlight is like Chris Pine is, um, uh, Chris Pine is like a podcaster, right? He's like uh, sending out like all these radio like messages every day, but his like messages aren't, super charismatic or interesting they're just kind of like empty platitudes, platitudes and i don't yeah. know if i was if that like i think those are supposed to be really charismatic and, and compelling but i didn't get that sense at all i did not feel like those were really well written i felt like they were just kind of filler um so i think that's it's just another element in which like more time spent on that more work on those details would have elevated this movie to something really great yeah, I think it's interesting because the message that I got from that is not that he's some compelling speaker, is that this is the only thing they can listen to. There's nothing else on. <laughs> so it's like, I'm, it's either do your chores uh, with this on or silence. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree with a lot of things that you guys have said. Harry Styles obviously left a lot to be uh, uh, desired. The <laughs> social commentary, I think, is ankle deep. Uh, you know, when I walked out, I was like, dang, yeah, 1950s culture, not great. <laughs> not um, great. <laughs> it's 70 years ago, though. So, like, what about now? <laughs> and um, and I, I totally agree. I, I got so thrown off with Gemma Chan killing Chris Pine at the end because 
what is the point of that? Like, uh, you know, I guess my biggest uh, I, the conclusion I draw is that um, it, they're kind of following the same kind of strategy as Top Gun, where they're like, we need to set this up for a sequel way, way down the line. <laughs> we'll wait until society has changed in a meaningful way, and somehow women have the upper hand now, mm-hmm. and we can have the same movie, but in reverse, where now right. the women are running a virtual place where the <laughs> men don't know that they're trapped, or some other like <laughs> unnecessary sequel. I don't I don't know what the point is of that. Know. So I thought that was a kind of wild, uh, maybe just a revenge fantasy to see a woman literally twisting the knife uh, while killing a <laughs> patriarchal villain, but it <laughs> didn't do it for me. So, uh, okay, those are our pros and our cons. Let's get into our overall section. And Joey has some questions that he would like to ask. Yes, and hopefully Keita has some answers. Mm-hmm. So... Um, we were talking about this movie. We said we really wanted to see it. We we're really excited for it. Um, what made you excited to see this movie and to talk about this movie today, Akita? Um, so as uh, aforementioned, um, I was a big directioner. So when I saw Harry Styles is going to be um, casted alongside Florence Pugh, I was going to see it. Um, so that's kind of why. Um, and honestly, I don't know, I don't even know if we're going to get into it, but the drama that surrounded it kind of picked up a little bit more than me knowing about what the film was. Um, so that's why I picked this movie. <laughs> Wh- which drama are you? Cause there's so much drama. Which drama which really drew you in? Drama? <laughs> where, where do we begin? Um, I think the first thing I saw was, uh, Florence and Olivia, not quite, uh, getting along behind the scenes, behind the cameras. So right. that's the first thing I saw. And then it kind of just snowballed <laughs> after that. Uh, so that was like the first thing. Yeah. I, I actually read like three articles today about the drama, so we can definitely talk about that, but we'll get to that later. I think, <laughs> um, what about this movie speaks to you personally? Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, being a woman myself, I identify as a, uh, black woman, a young black woman. Um, And so I think what spoke to me was kind of the frustration that comes with being gaslit um, and or discredited. Um, It's definitely a real experience. And it's something that I have related to, especially um, recently getting a, you know, full time professional position. Um, A lot of that stuff comes with being gaslit or being discredited. Um, So I think another thing that spoke to me was Uh, And what made this movie actually pretty spooky was the fear um, of people in power. And I use people pretty generally because I'm seeing men and women in that category. Um, So people in power kind of having this entitlement to women's bodies and lives. um, It's very real to me um, and it's something that is reinforced every day. So for me, I see it in media. It's how I show up professionally in a workplace. Um, And honestly, recently how um, I operate and interact with people within a medical office. So there's, you know, seeing some of those scenes in the movie kind of spoke to me as well. So, yeah. I um that's really interesting. And I think the the gaslighting aspect of it really stood out to me too. Yeah. That's something that I think could have been done a lot differently mm. actually and to be, to a much better degree. Absolutely. So, Cuz like for me um that's kind of the main theme of this, right? Is that Alice is experiencing something and nobody else experiences it, right? right. But the way that it's portrayed to us the audience is that Alice is losing her mind, right? This is not like that scene where she has that conversation with the doctor that I that I mentioned earlier. 
that's that's a classic example of gaslighting, where all these people who apparently have authority over Alice and her life are telling her that she's wrong and that she's mistaken, even though she clearly saw something that happened and you, the audience, also saw that, right? But I think, like, when you're telling a story like this, it makes so much more sense to have Alice be the center of power in the story and not be completely warped by what the reality is, right? Because while I'm watching, I'm like, oh my gosh, this woman is crazy. She's She thinks the walls are closing in on her. The eggs don't have yolks in them. What does that mean, right? Like, oh, she saw she had this violent hallucination of Margaret smashing her head against the, the mirror. Like, all of that is indication that she's the one that's broken, that there's something wrong with her. But if it's tr- if it was the other way around where she saw these things like and they actually did happen and other people saw them too but then later denied them or um that she was the only one who saw them and everyone else said that that didn't happen and she went back there and there was no evidence of it or something somehow it got erased right suddenly you the audience have to make a choice is your narrator um uh like is she unreliable or do you stick with her and try to figure out what's going on right and then that gives her the power and the agency as a main character to decide how she's going to deal with the situation, right? I'm going to, she makes a plan. She like says, I'm going to go uh, attack this thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to test this out. I'm going to do this thing and see what happens. And then I'm going to know for sure that people are lying or I'm going to know for sure that something else is going on. But she never gets that opportunity. She stumbles through this movie, constantly running into problems and uh, unsure of how to act. She really, like, she never really questions her reality until the very end, right? She never gets the opportunity to think that what she's experiencing isn't real. Instead, she's constantly being fed this, or you, the audience, and her are being constantly fed this idea that she's insane, but through the visual medium of her being insane, instead of the other, the world acting as if she is. So I, I really, I feel like if they had taken that idea and twisted it, right, and made it so that it was things happening to her instead of, like her like losing her mind it would have been much more effective as a gaslighting metaphor because instead it undermines this idea because okay in the 50s and even today right one of the common like uh i don't know common accusations thrown at women is that they are hysterical right they can't control their emotions they don't know what's going on they have no concept of reality right that's certainly true for alice she is hysterical. Yeah. So why would you, if you're trying to tell a story where your main character is being gaslit, why would you also make her hysterical? Yeah. It just undermines your whole point. Yeah. yeah oh, any thoughts on good. that? Oh, that's good. Oh, that's good. And I think that because that's, that's, it's real, like real life. Um, things are happening to women, you know, um, right. they are having these actual experiences that people want them to kind of very deep or not even want to, you know, kind of validate those experiences that are, are true and that are happening. But for Alice, it's not happening to anyone but her. Um, right. And she can't even explain any of those things that are going on. So when she wants to bring it up to someone, so even with her husband or the women around her, they're like, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Um, so I, I really like that take. And like I said, if this just went deeper... <laughs> If we could have gone a little bit deeper, um, I would have really liked that. Especially, I think one of the things that was spooky for me and a little scary for me is not only gaslighting um, Alice, but in the dinner scene, um, Chris Pine's character, Frank, were 
letting other people know like, hey, you know what? Don't listen to her. She's, you know, she's emotional. Yes. You know, she gets like this. That that scares me. Um, and so I think if it were flipped like that, I think it would just be a lot more compelling because um, that is something that is very real. So not only gaslighting, like, say me myself, but letting people around me know that, you know, you don't you don't really need to you know buy into what she's saying or buy into what she's thinking. Don't worry about it. Um, and I think that's I think that's very real. There's this movie that came out last year called The Last Duel. Mm. I don't know if either of you guys seen it. It has mm. Adam Driver and uh, Matt Damon in it. And um, Jodie Comer is the, uh, ma the main woman. And that movie is sort of the first. It's, it's like a it's, a, it's, a, it's supposed to be a historical take. It's supposed to be, it's a, it's sort of like a vantage point um, type movie where this, it's the same story told three times from three different perspectives. And the final perspective that you see is from the woman's point of view. And they, they make the claim that this is the, uh, the real version of events, even though it's happened in the 1400s. So there's no way of knowing who's telling the truth. But anyway, the point is that it's um, uh, the, the story is about how this woman was sexually assaulted by one of her husband's rivals. And the, the experience from the husband's point of view, the, um, the assault, the assaulter, the, the rapist, and from the woman, right? And she, at the end, has all these conversations with different women and is talking about how, like, th what happened to her was wrong. That this, this was something, it was a violation of everything that I am as a person. And the other women would tell her that she just should suck it up and deal with it because this is the sort of thing that just happens, right? It's a perfect example of how, like, women started to stand up for themselves and how things that were originally normal and, and kept as something that was right or like, you know, just part of daily life became something that was unacceptable, right? That was kind of the overall message of this. And this movie doesn't really do a good job of, of portraying that because again, Alice, it's not clear whether Alice is, has her head on straight at all, but a similar thing happens, right? Where she is told that What's happening to her is normal, that she should just deal with it, even though she knows deep down that it's wrong and she hasn't uh, conformed to the conditioning that the other women have, uh, have in this town, right? Um, so I think that's, I don't, again, it's just such a missed opportunity. I, like, what's, this movie benefits a lot from being in the era it is because it's hard to misinterpret what Olivia Wilde is trying to do, but I honestly feel like she does not hit the mark very well. And I really do think that she does, I really do think a lot of this movie's problems lie with the direction. There are so many scenes when Florence Pugh is just staring into the middle distance, looking at nothing. And I'm like, come on, <laughs> seriously? <laughs> like, like, this is the best you can do? Like, yes. you, like, you have Florence Pugh here, you could have her do anything. And right. you know, all you're, you're going to have like literally 15 minutes of the movie where she just stares straight yes. ahead. That's, it's clearly a director's choice, not an actor's choice, right? To, and that uh, annoyed me so much because it, it told me nothing about what was going on. It gave me no idea of what she was thinking or the environment she was in or whether what, what was happening was real or just in her head. So it was just frustrating from that perspective. In, uh, in the director's defense, I mean, when Florence Pugh stares out there, I mean, I feel something. You know, she's just, nobody <laughs> stares at She's not staring at me, so... <laughs> <laughs> no but i think that's a really good thing to point out it's like just because your message is uh important and and like resonates uh with your audience it doesn't 
necessarily mean that you get a pass on delivering that message in a way that's uh, cohesive. And I think that's, uh, yeah, again, what's so frustrating about this is we're all on board with where this is going, but the way that we, it just, it starts and then it goes kind of nowhere, yeah. uh, which right. kind of makes you feel like you wasted your time by the time you get to the end. Yep. It's just like Kita said, right? It's it's starting that conversation, yeah. right? It's like, hey, we've heard of uh, these things happening, but we don't really know anything about them. So we're just going to put it in our movie and, and you know, that's good enough, right? <laughs> Y'all <And> have fun. <laughs> you're not actually tangling with the issue, especially the issue that's happening today. Absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah, I know when I was in the theater, and I think this can go for a lot of people like you talked about, um, when we're sitting there, we're on board. We're like, yes, this is bad. We need Alice to get out. We need Alice to figure this out. Um, if we're going to, I feel like we're getting into a very, very, a very good time for critical thinking, really diving deep into our, um, our society and what it means um, and all these different kind of movements that we've seen. Um, at this point, we kind of, if you're going to, pose this type of theme and this type of thinking make me think i mm-hmm. was just riding the wave <laughs> and i was like yep <laughs> and and at, at a certain point like you said we knew where it was going um we knew the bad guys were gonna get their comeuppets and we we knew the damsel in distress um or the or the heroine was gonna get out um but it seemed like olivia the director wanted us to think wanted us to really ponder and I don't think I did a lot of that pondering stuff. Um, so that was that was what was kind of frustrating. Yeah. So um, I, I think you, you have listed here some other movies that are other works that this movie has been compared to. So what does this remind you of in, in other media? Yes. So I guess I'll start with a comparison that I did not really see. So I've heard people talk about this is um, like a like Jordan Peele's uh, like white feminist get out version. And I don't I was trying to see it. I did not see it. Um, I think the themes were different. I think the way it was uh, framed was different. Um, so I don't really see that. I think I see more The Matrix definitely um mm. and then also alice in wonderland especially with our main character um alice obviously being and bunny, named alice right? and bunny absolutely <laughs> um and bunny loved that and then also with the mirrors so alice's story like the looking glass so i saw a lot of alice in wonderland and then obviously the great gatsby but the only reason why i saw that comparison is because it's back in the 1900s with different clothes and music and dancing and drinking. So <laughs> that was like well, the only thing I drew from the great Gatsby. Um, Frank so, is yeah. kind of like that Gatsby-ish character, right? He's sort of Absolutely. elusive, right? Everyone wants to know what he's up to. Very much so. Very much the Gatsby of this story. <laughs> I do want to talk about more about Frank in a second. But uh, I did see an article that was comparing Olivia Wilde to Jordan Peele from a like director standpoint, where she has made the transition from actress to director i did see and that. she's trying to do some like social commentary um at the same time so um uh, you know there is a lot of drama in the back in the background about this and how she promoted the movie and everything mm-hmm. um and like the, t- the stories on set but from what i can tell it seems like you know olivia wilde is on her uh you know social commentary director arc and uh, we may see more movies like this in the future which honestly i'm looking forward to because I think uh, there, there's a lot of good stuff in here that mm. I think could be better. So, you know, with a bit, and that's the other thing too, is she, she's got this mid range budget, you know, right. horror movies kind of, they, horror movies are unique because they can be made for very little money or they can be, for, be made for a ton of money. Right. And this one is like something that's kind of in the middle, got some special effects, but mostly relies on 
you know, a single setting and some like some good characters. Mm-hmm. Um, so and I yeah. think this is I think this is Olivia's like second, only her second like feature film or something Book like Smart that. Book Smart was the first, was the first right. one, and I thought Book Smart was great. So <laughs> I haven't seen it. I did like Book Smart; it was cute. Um, so especially with like a theme that she wanted to take on. I mean, it was it had holes, but like like you said, I think I think we can do better the third, fourth, fifth time around. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. She'll see, keep getting chances, that's for sure. Very much so. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, I also wanted you to highlight a moment for us. Uh, you brought up the dinner scene with Frank. This is a, a very interesting turning point in the movie. Very much so. I really liked the dinner scene. Um, and that started with kind of Frank walking through the through Alice and Jack's door kind of to the end um, where Shelley was, you know, chastising Alice. I think the scene where Frank comes and confronts Alice was, I think, one of my favorite, like, Chris Pine scenes, especially the way um, he kind of acted it. And um, especially the, the, I think, the menacing feel of, you know, you, I've been waiting for someone like you and, and, and you know, no great, no great kind of man um, didn't have just a little bit of a challenge <laughs> to get him where he needed to be or however that quote went. Um, and then also at the end of that, that scene, he was like, and here you are preparing dinner, like a good little girl, just very much. He just reveled in the power and the control and the little bit of a, a game um, is kind of the kind of the theme that he went off of. And so I thought that was really freaky um, and I liked it. And then all the way down to Ch- Shelly kind of chastising Alice. That was a fun scene, um, especially how she entered it with enough. That was great. <laughs> um, and I think there was one there was one part where she said, um, you know, here are you whining, you know, as a, as a desperation to seem what was it, entertaining um, or exciting. And I was like, oh, you didn't have to read her like that. Clee <laughs> in her house, in her own home, at her own dinner. She prepared dinner for you. You have to do her like that. Um, I thought that was that was a fun scene. The dinner scene was a fun scene. And like you said, a, a, a big turning point of the story. So I, I agree. That. And I, I think it's a example of uh, making putting Alice in a position to not look hysterical. She is on point with some of her uh, revelations about why the world they're living in seems artificial or, or why something's not right here. She correctly points out that a lot of these couples have the same origin story and they're from the same cities. Things that we, the audience previously didn't know, but uh, she is able to figure out. Um, and I think this is probably going a little bit with what you were suggesting as like the movie should have doubled down on mm-hmm. Joey is, is make giving her the ability to, she's being gaslit literally right in front of her. Right Chris Pine her. is saying she's like being hysterical. Uh, like emotional. she's something's not right with, yeah, she's mm-hmm. too emotional, but <laughs> she's not being emotional. She is right. getting, you know, obviously she's been confrontational, but she's not screaming and yelling. She's saying things that are absolutely true mm-hmm. and pointing out the issues with the, their world and um and that is you know going up against the cult leader who's saying denying it and gaslighting her to her face saying that that stuff's not that's not correct or or even just brushing it aside and not uh, engaging with it at all so i thought that was a really good way for us to kind of bolster alice's position and say yeah she isn't going insane she's actually figuring it out yep yeah but chris pine still holds all the cards in this scene you know yeah. and that's the thing that's like frustrating for me is, um, you know, it's the uh, 
uh, it's the meme. Uh, would you would you be able to fight a horse? Depends <laughs> if I have prep time or not. You know, right. like she's 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 given like five seconds basically to try to think of like what to how to challenge yeah. him at this dinner table, right? And even then, it's like performative, right? Because she's she's not necessarily doing it for him, but she's doing it because he asked her to. Mm-hmm. Because he she felt like maybe if she pulled this thread, he would throw her a bone, which doesn't really happen, right? Instead, she gets uh, you know erased or reset mm-hmm. or whatever. So uh, I wish that I wish that this scene had culminated had been a culmination of two titans coming together, mm. where Florence Pugh. Uh, had a bunch of preparations, realized something was going on, did a bunch of work to figure out what it was, and then threw it down in Chris Pine's face, and he completely underestimated her, right? And then he says something weakly like, oh, she's just being emotional, and everyone just goes along with it because he's the guy, right? He's the, he's the man, even though you, the audience, are like, ah, you know what? She's totally right, though. She's totally right. Totally I don't, there's not enough of that, right? Even in this moment, I'm not sure that Alice is right. I'm not sure if she really knows what she's talking about. You know, a lot of things she's pointing out are suspicious for sure. I know, as this is a movie. I know something's going on, but I, but her presentation of this doesn't quite sell me enough um, because I, I don't think she has enough of a grasp of the situation. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, I, yeah. Yeah. And I think, and Frank even pointed out like, you know what? I thought you would, I thought we would be better. Um, yes. I thought you would pull, I would thought you would pull out all the stops and you, you flailed. Um, and so he did, he pointed it out definitely. And I agreed, um, cause she did still seem hysterical <laughs> even after like he was gaslighting everybody around her. Um, and so at a point, like you talked about, I know someone pointed out that it, it sucked that they weren't two equals at the table. They yes. were not. Mm-hmm. Um, like you point out, he had all the cards. Um, he was still that person of influence and power where it was easy for him to manipulate the situation how he see fit. Um, and Alice just only had whatever she had in her brain at the moment. Um, right. So I agree with that a lot. Yes, but this is a great... I mean, Frank is terrifying throughout the movie. This yeah. is another great scene where, where Chris Pine really delivers on that terrifying uh, vision. Um, so yeah, uh, it is a it's a pretty cool moment in the movie. Okay, so we've already gone a little deep here, but Kita, let's talk about some of the themes Ooh. that are present here that speak to you. Something that you anything you want to talk about? Yeah, so I guess we're gonna go a little bit deeper then, huh? Um, so <laughs> a couple of <laughs> these. <laughs> Can you modulate her voice? Please. (laughs) A little bit deeper than, huh? Okay, so some themes that were present and definitely kind of jumped out at me. um, I think the first kind of obvious one was power, order, and control. Um, You see a lot of that with Frank. I think Frank is the 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 modicum of that power and control that we see, um, especially not only him controlling the women, but controlling the men in society as well. Especially when we get into the one. what was it? It was a party scene um, and they were all out to to celebrate a promotion. I think it was uh, Jack's promotion and he made him dance um, like a little monkey, a little monkey. <laughs> it was so weird. Uh, it, it was, was so the weird. weirdest, longest scene I've had to sit Why through. Why wasn't Harry smiling? He was, he looked like he was in pain and he looked like he was tired um, and he looked like he was being controlled, which he was. 
I was uh, asking so, Jenny, like, like, <laughs> is this good tapping? Because she's right. She's, she's a tap instructor. I know Jenny would know. And she was like, she's like, I've never seen that move before in my life. <laughs> that's like, not that, that's not in the choreography. I call that a windmill. <laughs> Well, it's interesting because he was literally making him dance, which I thought was like kind of hitting us across the head with like the metaphor that's like Frank is pulling all of the strings. Like she's married to this guy who has no agency, but that's not even true. He definitely has agency. He's just he's as involved in this as Frank. (laughs) So that in retrospect seems like a completely pointless scene besides just it being eerie Eerie. weird Mm -hmm. it's the weirdest thing weird weirdest scene weirdest scene um and so i think another thing that i saw as far as uh order um was the scenes that the that frank i'm guessing frank picked to kind of pull people into the world some of the images that alice was seeing um kind of to rope her back into reality so with some like flapper girls and like white wigs um and they were dancing and it was very ordered it was very choreographed um they had beautiful i'm guessing red lipstick on bold lipstick on um in black and white and so i was thinking that was those images were kind of used as a way to be like this is a very men oriented um society where they have all the power they have all the control especially the way the women and the dancers looked um they were kissing at the camera um and i was thinking oh this is definitely uh some images that i think frank picked to uh or at least to as for the male gaze um if mm. anything and so those images i kind of saw a lot of the times they use the women's bodies as to uh, model like an eye um the eye i'm still trying to figure out what that was about but you know that's neither here nor there <laughs> um, i think that's like kind of perception like, right. uh, like you know because obviously they have those little things on their eyes those yeah, clockwork yeah. orange devices right but they also yeah uh <laughs> but they um the eye is you, you put a lot of stock in what you see right mm. and so uh alice thinking what she's seeing and feeling everything is reality uh like but the eye can be fooled right I many different that. things I yeah, as that. as the killers said, right? Are we human or are we dancer? Ooh, uh, <laughs> theme of this movie. Ooh, wow! <laughs> I love, I love that because I was really trying to figure it out, and I'm glad you pulled that together for me. Um, but yeah, so one big theme was like power, order, control. That's kind of the world that Frank envisions, especially for men. That's how the men like it. They want everything to be at their beck and call, um, and they got it. Um, another thing. I kind of wanted to touch on. I have two. I think I'm going to do one first over the other. Um, Hoes before bros. Okay, listen, listen, hear me out. Listen. So uh, (laughs) when we so when we get into I think it especially I feel like Olivia Wilde could have did this a little bit better. um, But it it does suck sometimes in society where you feel like you can't count on the women around you um, to make sure that you're okay uh, to kind of be at your side, you know, kind of have that, that, um, that mode of like allyship of like, I'm going through a tough time, women around me, can you rally around me and help me out here? Um, and we did not see a lot of that in there and that it was obviously intentional. So that was one of the themes that I saw that, you know, the women, um, especially the two women who knew about the, um, simulation about victory, um, it was Shelly and it was Bunny. They knew yep. about it, but they 
continued to let these women who did not know about it, who were forced to be a part of this project, to continue being a part of this. Um, one part of the <laughs> one part of the project that really scared me was it was towards the end where we figured out how Jack could be a part of it. So he was kind of signing up. And one of the questions they asked was, um, was there a, do you have a prior relationship with this woman? I thought that was one of the scariest questions they asked um, because I guess it is kind of alluding to or kind of kind of implying like you do not have to have <laughs> a relationship yeah. with the woman to kind of come into the project. So for these two women to kind of know what the project is um, and not and still not be able to kind of protect these women or quote unquote save these women from um, the project was was scary. And I think that was an intentional part of the movie. Yeah, um, definitely. With Bunny being a having her own reasons for mm-hmm. being in the simulation, I, I love that because it gives us something else to chew on besides Absolutely. just men bad and all the Absolutely. women are here because of the men. She has this seemingly good reason for wanting to live there because mm-hmm. her kids are still alive. But like you said, she is complicit in complicit. the imprisonment of these other women. So mm-hmm. she's, she's a bad person too. Uh, but... The fact that they have fake children leads us to, you know, it gives us the information that they can create fake, uh, you know, people in this world. Yeah. So who's real and who's fake? And, who's and if you can create fake people, why not just make a fake woman? Please. You know, it's taking this whole process a lot more simple. I guess to, maybe no. you can try to imply some sort of like sinisterness or like this mm. entitlement that men are like, well, I should be able to bring a real woman in here because that's what I'm allowed to that's do. But yeah, yeah, but um, where where does the like? I I didn't get where the line is drawn. I'm thinking maybe the guys in the red suits uh aren't real. Maybe right. they're like NPCs mm-hmm. designed to like do the I don't know chores or something yeah. or like to do security. But uh, what about the trolley man? Did you think right. he was real? I why would tell. you like? What if? <laughs> how much does tell. your life have to suck that you spend your free time logging into a virtual world and driving the trolley? Like, or the he, women of society? Because yeah. <laughs> the men don't take it. Right? Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I was no, so he confused. was definitely some sort of NPC, but it was really unclear because he didn't have like a script. You know? Right. Like, like Florence is like, "Hey, can I? Can we go this way?" And he's like. That's he's not like, on my route. We do Ooh. that right. <laughs> you know, and then he's like kind of ignores her. Yeah, it was it was I don't know, it was weird. Yeah. Um I I think the answer to Benjamin's question, no, it is that's a hundred percent of a entitlement. That's what the movie I think is mostly about. Yeah. Is men feeling entitled to women's bodies, as Keita said earlier. Absolutely. Right. They're feeling like we I not not just we, but like I know best, right? I know what uh what's best for this person mm. and i'm gonna make decisions for her right and um it is my right as a man to do that and it's my duty maybe even yep like as a the primary breadwinner or whatever right the provider to provide everything for my wife so that she doesn't rely on anything except for me Absolutely. Um, it's that power fantasy, really. It doesn't work unless there's another person, a real person there who you are exploiting. And then for, for oh, Akita, you said something that made me think of something very important that I wanted to say. And now I can't remember what else. Oh, it's absolutely, it's, it's a, such a complicated situation for Bunny and for Shelly 
because I agree that they are complicit in this. But what guarantees do they have outside of this system, right? If they were to rebel and or to help the other women rebel, what guarantees do they have that they could even leave, right? It's this, it's this pervasive and complete control where you can explain the nature of your imprisonment and yet you have, you're absolutely helpless against it, right? You know exactly what's happening to you and yet you can do nothing. It is terrifying to think about um, being in a situation like that where you're not even, you don't even have the luxury of not knowing. You, you know, you know and you're still trapped. Um, and yeah, I think that, that for Bunny, especially, I mean, she's in denial, right? She believes that she's happier here in the fake world where her children are robots, but like, uh, there's no way that that's true because she's never going to be able to grieve them or watch them grow up or be, have them be real people, right? She's never going to be able to move on if she's constantly deferring that and, uh, putting all of her stock into these fake children, um, that, you know, probably don't even have yokes in them. Well, so, so the implication there is that Bunny is still like, she's been, uh, persuaded by Nick Kroll to Mm -hmm. that, that living there is better with her children, as opposed to her making a voluntary choice to just live in the, in the world. I think that it's like either way, right? She gives up so much that she loses the ability to ever change her mind. Mm. Interesting. That's what I think anyway. That's my interpretation of, of that. Is she she's sacrificing a lot of her agency um for some sort of promised happiness. You know? And uh, and the price for that is to continue to lie and to uphold this lie. And um like she sees the other women in their situations and maybe she thinks that she's different, but she's mm-hmm. not really different, right? She's still stuck there. She's not allowed up at the gazebo, right? She's not allowed to uh, to leave whenever she wants. It's never like, oh, where's Bunny? Oh, she's not here. You know, she's uh, she's always there. Yep. Anyway, I could be wrong about that. Um, I think another theme, and I'm glad that you touched on this. Um, as a theme that I, I think it was the overall kind of theme of it was, uh, it's kind of like a coin term is aggrieved entitlement. Um, so it was, I first heard this through a, uh, YouTuber slash podcaster, um, slash academic it's FD signifier. Um, he's one of my favorites when it comes to the social commentary of like pop culture. Um, and so it was coined by Michael Kimmel. So the grievance entitlement is just this existential fear um, about having uh, my rightful place, quote, as a man questioned, challenged, deconstructed. Um, so that entitlement is basically being told, well, at least the aggrieved entitlement is being told no. Um, when the prevailing mythos of the culture has taught that they, as a man, um, have a right to something because of their birth. So they have a birthright, they feel. So as a, as a white, male, straight, educated, able-bodied, you know, the list goes on with having this, I was promised from birthright that I can have this power, have this money, have these women, um, and have whatever I want, be the breadwinner. This is what it's expected of me. So it's like this, you know, um, self-fulfilling prophecy of this is what I get. And when I don't get it, I commit, you know, acts of violence, um, assault, just very kind of egregious things. So kind of like the Jack, 
um, pulling Alice into this world. It's a very heinous mm-hmm. thing to do. It's a very violent thing to do. Um, and he was being very aggrieved when it came to her working this full-time, over full-time surgeon job where he couldn't even make ends meet on his part. Um, He wasn't getting what he wanted. A lot of that came with spending time with his wife, sex, you know, all these different, him to cook or her to cook for him. Um, So he felt like he needed to, and and he convinced himself that she would even be happier. So like you talked about, Joey, um, where I know what's best for you. I know how you are going to feel. I know that this is going to be the place for you where we're both going to be happy um, if we're in this world, not giving her a choice, taking her agency away. Um, So that's why I'm I'm glad you touched on that because it's one of of the scarier things in our society to see, um, but it's something that's very real. Um, And I think that was the very overarching kind of especially the the context that it was put in. So this kind of incel manosphere podcaster dude, Frank, um, talking oh to these people. I can't believe <laughs> Harry Styles gets radicalized by podcasts. It was you crazy know? to see. That, yeah. that is only... I thought that was that so is, crazy. I can't say that hasn't happened to me, but... <laughs> <laughs> okay, but he also... <laughs> He watches a podcast with no visual element. Like she walks in the room, he's staring at the screen and minimizes the YouTube video of this podcast. It says like like, organized chaos or something. Yes, yeah. 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 Meanwhile, the dishes are not done. Dishes are not done. So go listen to your podcast while you're doing the dishes. Yeah, like he is so. Yeah, yeah, he is so useless. Is, uh, I love how they make him look like a moron in the kitchen. Because yes. yeah, first he, like, he doesn't do the dishes in their real life apartment, and then he right. tries to make mashed potatoes by smashing raw potatoes with <laughs> a like bottle of rum or something. That was Couldn't do hilarious. It. <laughs> that was, that was wild. Hilarious. He expected Alice to come home after a thirty-hour shift as a surgeon to make you food. Please. Yeah, I'm tired. Insane. I'm tired. <laughs> um, I grave entitlement is such an interesting concept. Mm-hmm. Uh, what you're describing there, like, leads the, the inevitable conclusion is to justify actions like this, right? Yes. Not necessarily exactly, you know, trapping your wife in a virtual reality, but you know, justifying <laughs> right, taking uh, violent action against other people, or mm-hmm. by um, you know, restricting the freedoms of other people. All of that is. Uh, you can justify if you believe you're entitled to make those decisions for somebody else. I think this sort of thing is so interesting because as a man, this is one of those things that I feel like I pressure toward, Mm. but am also like so glad that I don't feel like I actually have to act on it. You know, it's something that I think other people easily fall into, especially when they're very insecure about where mm-hmm. they are in their life. And I am lucky enough to realize that like traditional gender roles don't mm-hmm. have to apply to me. And therefore I can make my own decisions about how mm-hmm. I want to live my life and what responsibilities I have. Mm-hmm. And I feel so much freer because of that. But I think a lot of other men who don't have stable relationships mm-hmm. or don't have a lot of friends end up falling victim to these kind of narratives. I think the biggest opportunity right now in media in general is for men of our demographic, Benjamin, to uh, create some sort of place to talk about relationships and talk about how to be a successful and reasonable man um, to other people in our demographic. Because I see so many other people getting sucked into the Andrew Tate, fit and fresh, you know, manosphere world 
right? That's something that FD Signifier makes a really long video about. Very long. Uh, uh, <laughs> which I did which I did listen to. Right, um, I watched the whole thing. <laughs> he yeah, it's very good. It that that sort of thing is is being uh corrupted or being taken up by the right wing and something that I think people who are uh for lack of a better term, woke, people who are woke. using, you know, uh more of an empathetic approach to society need to fill that void because I think those people are very vulnerable and need help. And I don't know exactly how to start with that sort of thing. I feel like I've been blessed with a lot of really healthy relationships throughout my life. I feel like I have a really good understanding of what makes a relationship work. Mm-hmm. But I also um, don't know how it's what it's like to be like completely alone for a long time, to be in that mm-hmm. incel mindset, you know, and it's hard to imagine being in that. It feels very foreign to me. And uh, like, Reaching out to those people, helping those people is such an important mission because we can't let anyone fall to the wayside and become radicalized to do violence against people because they have some sort of aggrieved entitlement yeah. because they believe that they're entitled to something that they, have, they don't feel like they have to work for, you know? And the truth is that you don't have to want those things, you know? That's, that's really the, like the secret here is that you can actually learn how to do like other things and still be a useful and helpful person in a relationship or in anything else. Right. And cause there's other people that will compliment that and that you can help with. And if, if you can't find someone that compliments it, then maybe that's something you can learn. Cause that's the other thing so you can almost, you can learn basically anything. Yeah. So this idea of like, I have to do this. I, I must be this thing. Right. Mm-hmm. is such a negative and toxic element in our culture and something that I agree with Kita is scary, you know, even from my perspective, even though I don't have to necessarily deal with it, right? Mm -hmm. I feel very comfortable in my masculinity, but I don't, but I see it as something that's super hard to fight against because Mm -hmm. it's so deeply entrenched in people, right? When you tell people they don't have to, they don't have to be the person that mows the lawn, right? You don't have to be the person that, you know, makes the most money in the relationship. It's something that people struggle with constantly and, and they won't listen to you if you just say it like that, right? It requires this deep, like uh, digging into yeah. their value set and and pulling that out and try and getting them to really examine it, which is something that's very difficult to do. And a lot of people won't listen to you because they think that you know there's a lot of propaganda on the other side saying that people who think like me uh, drink too much soy or something, which <laughs> may be true, but Beautiful. Uh, that doesn't mean I'm not smart. <laughs> yeah, I I agree with you in that, and I think you bring up a good point with um, it's not just telling them, hey, you'll be fine without these things. Um, it's, it's a lot deeper than that. Um, I think it's, it's very systemic. I think it's, you know, pushed by the society that we've grown up in um, and the one that we work in. Um, a lot of those values are still upheld in a lot of family systems and a lot of work systems. And a, a, even in just relationships in general, there are, there are people who expect um, a certain kind of role to be filled. And so it, I think it is, it, it is getting a little bit deeper. And I will even say it gets deeper than just going to therapy. You know, I, I listen. I love my therapy and I love psychology more than the next. That's what I did in college. And that's what I want to continue to do. Um, But I think with this type of, uh, with this type of, like talked about entitlement and this type of theme, um, 
it, it does take a lot more of kind of pulling out some of the fabric of our society of what it means to be a man um, and what it means to, you know, hold a job and, and other things like that. So I agree with you a lot. It It's going to be very, it's going to, it's going to take a while <laughs> um, and it's, it's going to take some digging. I think this kind of goes back to something that you mentioned at the top of this podcast, which is that we really are seeing the worst of men in this movie, yeah. right? We, again, the bar is so freaking low. These, <laughs> these guys are you know, radicalized by podcasts. They, they, they're uh, plagued by aggrieved entitlement, right? They are, uh, you know, they, they fit into that kind of incel adjacent, you know, uh, like, um, demographic Mm -hmm. um but there are so many different you know examples of how to be a successful person a successful man that are not shown in movies like this right Mm -hmm. and if your point is to show something that is um you know relevant to today i think you have to move that that needle further along on that spectrum to show people that are further away from that mindset, which everyone knows is toxic and wrong, and closer to the aggrieved entitlement where there's something deeply, you know, ingrained in them that's still causing this kind of toxic just like justifications for their behavior, right? Where on every aspect they are acting appropriately, respectfully, except for this one area mm-hmm. that is causing grief um, and causing them to fail in relationships. Uh, whether with women or with other men or or anything, right? I think we need better examples is what I'm trying to say. This movie doesn't really give you much to work with yeah. uh, on that front, not just because it's trying to paint men as the enemy in this movie, but because it doesn't, it, there's men are really a straw man mm-hmm. of how, uh, you know, the, the spectrum of masculinity that still exists that is also on the negative side <laughs> of that spectrum. Right. Yep. Okay, I'm tired now. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot to dig into. Thinking about gender makes me tired, and I know that's a privilege I am. <laughs> Listen, make it t- makes me tired too. <laughs> you ain't got to tell me. <laughs> All right, I got I got a kind of a fun question for you, Kita. Yay! Um, this is this is there's this concept in philosophy. It's called the experience machine. It mm. comes up in hedonism, especially. Benjamin and I have talked about this before. Um, so imagine that you could plug yourself into a machine that could give you any experience or any sensation that you desired. Would you use it? And would you ever stop using it? Oh, this is such a good question. Um, And the reason why it's such a good question for me is I live by the models of just being happy in the most convenient way possible. (laughs) So um, I think it depends on the experience and how my life is going at the moment. So currently my life is nice. You know, I, I'm in a good, um, I'm, I'm sheltered. I have food, you know, that's the basics, but I, you know, I have, I have good relationships. Um, I have a, a beautiful job that I love at the moment. Um, so I'm trying to figure out if there's any experience that would kind of pull me out of what I want to be doing right now. And honestly, what I see for myself in the future, um, I feel like for any imagining is kind of a big question. Um, So I have to imagine like a perfect scenario for myself. And I think that is so hard to do because I haven't experienced everything that I think I would love. Um, Okay, so so let me let me let me me reframe the question. Go ahead. So imagine if you imagine if you have the option to 
go into like a uh, experience machine. This is like a, like this is not just VR, right? This is right. like a haptic sensation, right? Absolutely. And you could either do that on and experience like a really cool roller coaster, mm. you know, you know, rock and roller coaster at Disney World. Love or that. you could go to Disney World and go to the rock and roller coaster yourself, right? Which would you rather do? <sighs> okay, so what I love Disney World and the Rocking Roller Coasters. That's a great example. Um, <laughs> I I would use it, especially knowing the type of turmoil and headache and stress I would get from actually going to Disney World and actually trying to get in line to go on the Rocking Roller Coaster. I would do it. I would use it. Would I but ever? Wouldn't that negative element kind of build that? See, this is, when I talked to Jenny about this, the thing that she brought up, and it's something I never considered before, mm-hmm. is that is the anticipation for mm-hmm. doing something is part of the enjoyment of it, right? It's not just that you could just do it. It's that you have to make the effort to go and do it, right? An experience machine could simulate that, but honestly, why would you do that? Why, why? wouldn't you just go right. straight to the pleasure, exactly. right? I don't know. I'm, I'm very into instant gratification. So if I am <laughs> able, <laughs> if I am able to just hop on it, I think you're right, though. I think if I'm able to experience, say, if it's less of the rock and roller coaster and just going to Disney World, oh, I would be at Disney World all the time. But then I feel like I would lose the excitement of it after that. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I would lose, the, like you talked about, the the sensation and the anticipation of going because I can only go to that experience every so often so it's just as special when i get to go um so i'm not sure i'm i'm reminded of this kind of experience with the black mirror episode san junipero it's like one of my favorites um where the deceased can live and the elderly can go and visit so me as like an elderly person wanting to go say visit my loved ones um i feel like i would use it even for a temporary visit would i ever stop using it no um, but I feel like if it's something I can get here and now in the real world, I feel like I would get bored. Um, and then also, like I said, I feel like I wouldn't, I don't have the enough experience to know everything that I would want to experience. So if it's here and now, I want to see if I can go experience it while I'm here. Um, unless it's like, like a tropical island where I'm like, okay, I can go visit that really quickly and then I can come back. But what, but what would scare me is what I leave would I come back here <laughs> and what would bring me back here um, if I could just right. stay and be conveniently um, stress-free all the time because it's a stressful world. So I'm not sure. This is hard. What was y'all's answers to the experience machine? Uh, so uh, I think it depends on exactly what the experience machine is. Right. <laughs> I, I think, uh, you know, this idea that you could go into a world where it's like seemingly perfect mm-hmm. and like you're free of all like bad things. That sounds like a new like ring of hell yes. because uh, I, I don't know what life is like with all of like my inconveniences removed. And um, like I think about so, like something that I don't like, which is I go to my job too much. Right. right. I think American Americans work too much and I'm an American with a job. So I'm at my <laughs> job a lot. But one of the things that that like a silver lining to that situation is every minute I'm not at my job as this has this like added bonus of being like, ah, I'm like free. I'm feeling this freedom right now. It's an enhanced yes. freedom. Like I may, maybe I'm just looking at like trees in, in nature right now uh, is something you could take for granted. But I'm like, I can't even see outside of the office right. when I'm sitting at my desk. So I I'm like at this added like beauty to it. 
I also am afraid of the opposite of that. It's, it's so addicting that I never want to leave. Exactly. And I don't trust myself to be able to push against that. So yeah. I think that my answer would be no. I would just I would I would not use the experience machine. Except for one small tiny caveat is that if the experience machine could be a singular experience for allowing me to play National Football League football uh, <laughs> without getting injured, I would do oh. that for sure. <laughs> I wouldn't do it for the, forever. Probably I would try not to. But, oh, uh, you know, if I could, because that's something I'll never be able to do. Uh, right. You know, the, the NFL has a high barrier for entry. I've definitely missed the boat on that one genetically. So yes. if I could go into an experience machine though, to give me the ability to play organized football, I would do that. Uh, but that would be it. And then after that, I'm out. Yes, I think that's uh, me. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's me when it comes to what rich people can do. Um, Mm -hmm. I know there are some things that I would, I feel like I would love to do if I had the money and if the experience machine can give me that, I kind of want to do it. We'll go back to Disney world. They have these things called (laughs) private tours. Oh my gosh. I want to do one. I'm never going to be able to afford a private tour. It's just not going to happen. And so I feel like I would do that. But like, like you said, I am nervous about what I believe a perfect world would be. If I can simulate that perfect world, why would I leave? The perfect right. Well, the other the other thing uh, I I, the first time I watched Inception, I was uh, having like a sleepover with the guys and we watched the movie and then I was going to go to sleep. And it was scary because (laughs) I was worried that I was going to go to sleep and I would go another layer deeper into all of the dreams. And I had this kind of disassociative moment where I wasn't confident in what reality I was existing. And I think that this, the experience machine is uh, fuel for that kind of paranoia. And the idea of being separated from my physical body, I've gotten to the point where I believe this is the one I'm in my (laughs) body. (laughs) (laughs) about it for too long you can freak yourself out but i think that this kind of thing if it's truly one-to-one with reality completely immersive i think that that opens the door to uh psychosis and i i don't want to deal with that so uh you know i'll go in there and play football with like fake looking football guys (laughs) who i can tell that it's not real and then i'll go back to my reality and stay here right oh man i yeah, I, I appreciate your guys' honesty because I think it's hard to say true truthfully that you wouldn't want to go in there and stay right. in there forever because it, it really is an unlimited possibility. And with the advent of the metaverse and you know increases mm. in technology for you know virtual worlds and interactions with virtual worlds, that kind of reality is becoming more and more uh, real. And people are plugging into virtual realities and you know living virtual lives even more fully than their physical ones mm. already. So it feels like this sort of thing um, is inevitable, that people mm. will have to make this choice eventually because you, it's possible to build a second life, right, or a world, like a, vi- a virtual uh, self that is far more um, you know, successful yeah. than your current one. And why would you ever want to live in the real world where you have to deal with real problems when you can deal with virtual ones that you can solve easily. Mm. For me, there's something appealing about living in a world where there's no people around, you know? <laughs> like, I like the idea that everyone's plugged into something and then I get to decide what's going on, you know? Like, imagine, like, you know, cleaning up trash on the side of the road. It's a very satisfying experience. And if there's no people around causing litter, you know, then uh, I can just do that and I'll be done, you know? I don't have to keep going back <laughs> to the same place. You would simulate you know, that. <laughs> if a virus comes around and starts, you know, taking people out, 
you know, I don't have to worry necessarily about interacting in large groups or anything because there won't be large groups. I can roam the earth alone uh, as its last inhabitant. Um, there's something kind of nice about that, I guess. But I also, you know, I have my health. I have, uh, mm. you know, I have full mobility and everything. If I ever lost something like that, it would be difficult for me not to want to plug into something that mm. could give me that feeling again. Um, and yeah, so it, it's it's a it's a dangerous thing, I think, uh, for sure, for our physical world. But I think in some ways it may save us because uh, imagine mm. if people stop driving. Or uh, people Listen, stop that's flying. That's a whole another conversation. <laughs> <laughs> what but, a beautiful world. Yeah, well, and what you're saying is definitely true, though, Joey. Because it's so easy for me to say, "No, I'll stay in my life," because I, I like my life genuinely. I, I think I've got a lot of things going for me. But in a situation where things are much worse, and this is provided as some sort of an escape, um, I just hope I'm never in that situation. I have to make right. that decision because yeah. I am afraid of what I would find out about myself. Uh, you know, I, th- I think um, I always tell myself I'm really happy that I was born when I was born uh, because there's a lot of things that uh, I've, I'm born after that horrors that I don't have to uh, endure. But I also feel like I'm born early enough where there's some truly uh, hellish things that we can see on the horizon that I'm hopefully going to be dead before they uh, rear their ugly faces. So born uh, too early. Uh, born too late to explore the world too early to explore the galaxy born just in time to explore dank memes that's right please <laughs> gosh oh yes uh, okay i got one more thing for you kita and then uh we'll, we'll move on to our break uh do you think this movie supports a feminist worldview or reinforces gender stereotypes Ooh, so we're going to talk about gender again, Joe. Are you ready? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I guess I'll start with, I think it does support a feminist worldview, right? Um, I think there are several different feminist frameworks that, uh, you know, we can get into. There's waves of feminism um, throughout the decades that we get into. I'm going to say this one is a very white one um and i say this (laughs) as a black woman um because you know the world is supposed to embody like this idyllic 1950s era way of living and as a person who would have had it rough back in the 1950s (laughs) it's not you know it's not the kind of world that that i would see but i know for men especially this is a beautiful time. Um, okay, okay, white men. This is a great time to be in. Um, and so even in an interview, um, Olivia Wilde expressed how she'd love living in this world. You know, she would love to be here. And I was like, why would you promote your movie that way if that's not the, <laughs> that's not the type of world that you think anybody should be living in? Like the 1950s, men are going off to do the working. You get to stay home, do the cooking, the cleaning, the smoking, the having the children, you know, all those different things. Um, And I also feel like we talked about it time and time again. It just doesn't get deep enough. Um, And I want to bring up, you know, kind of the only guys. I have to say this. This is a very white movie. (laughs) And I say this because our only, you know, black woman or black person we really see um, is our is Margaret, you know, the one who was first to be to experience her her kind of coming to to her reality, um, being the hysterical one. And then she 
dies gruesomely. Um, So it doesn't really dive deeper into, you know, what we kind of are going through today as far as what with class, um, the intersections of class, the intersections of gender and the intersections of race. You know, it's just a we have a very we have this white protagonist just trying to get away from the men. Um, And so I feel like it 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 supports a feminist worldview, but I think a pretty narrow one. Um, Does it reinforce gender stereotypes? I mean, if this world is supposed to be a world that is made by men um, with women held there against their will, uh, I feel like there is some commentary of this is probably not the the role women want to be in. Um, right. And so especially when we have our main character, Alice, in the real world being a surgeon, you know, kind of being in that more male kind of dominated work you know, work position. Um, I don't know if it reinforces gender stereotypes, but I, I will kind of hark back to it's a pretty narrow feminist worldview. Yes. I have, okay, I have a question for you. So, yes. Margaret is the first, is she sort of a canary in the coal mine type situation, right? Absolutely. She's the first, she's the person that sort of signals to Alice that something is wrong. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is a role that is traditionally played by minorities, right? That yes. the minorities, not just that they're the first to die, but that they're the first to notice something is wrong. To catch on to things, yes. Is that something that, is that, am I right in This is something that, that I, I, I was, I made the same comment um, after I came out of the theater. I was like, I think, and I'm jumping, I'm trying to jump into Olivia's mind. Um, <laughs> we're going to have this beautiful black woman come in and we understand what her role is going to be. We see it, we see it. But if we know are people of character or people of color, um, especially our black people. They're usually the ones to know what is going on or at least be the ones to not want to step into that area because they are, you know, the ones who are going to know what's going on. I feel like that was a cop out. I'm going to be honest. (laughs) Um, But I guess for uh, Margaret and her character, um, that is something that I did pick up on. Like she is because she is the one. She's going to be the one to pick up on it. Um, so, yeah, I saw Apparently, that. Apparently, Kiki Lane, the woman who plays um, mm-hmm. Margaret, she had a, like a larger role in the script, but some of her lines, some of her <sighs> pieces got cut. That's um, unfortunate. Yeah. I, she, there's a picture of her in a really awesome red dress at the promotion, at the, like, the gala. Yeah. So I think she was going to make another like um, vision appearance. That's uh, what, I would assume. That's what but, I um, wanted yeah. to see. I wanted to see Margaret kind of come back in a way, similar to the way Alice, they kind of kind of electroshock therapied her. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that would have been a more fun thing to see where Alice did see her die, but like in the next scene, she would have came back and, you know, everything would have been hunky-dory. Um, that would have been cool to see, but I did not have. Okay. Um, actually, we do have one more question, which is one that Kita wrote. Uh, go ahead, Kita. Okay. So I wanted to ask you both. Um, did you see... There's a twist. Um, a pretty big one. <laughs> there's a twist. Did you see the plot twist coming? And if you did see it, or if you didn't see it coming, or if you did, did the twist surprise you at all? No, I did not see it coming. <laughs> I knew something was wrong. Um, when I saw the trailer, I was like, okay, so maybe, maybe the men are being, are like brain, are like turned into robots or brainwashed mm-hmm. in some way, you know, maybe the, uh, 
I, I thought that this was happening in the real world and they were going to like the victory project was going to mm. be a bigger part of this where like they were working on some sort of experimental technology and the wives were like part of that experiment. Um, so I knew that like they were doing something shady. I wasn't sure how complicit they were going to be. Right. But that, I got all of that from the trailer as I was watching it. I, again, I was picking up on like, something's wrong. I knew something was going to, there's something going to twist here. I know Frank knows what's going on. I know he's, he's behind it. It's pretty clear that, uh, Gemma Tran, right. Uh, Shelly, she knew what was going on because she was the ballet teacher and everything. Uh, but I had no idea what was like, what the mechanism of the illusion was. And when it did happen, man, that was, a uh, I was pretty powerful twist. Mm -hmm. Have you guys seen the, the movie, the voices with Ryan Reynolds? No, uh, it's I such a good not. movie, and uh, that movie has a similar moment where, like, for maybe two minutes, you see reality for what it really is, and it's terrifying. And the rest of the movie happens like inside of his head. Um, in this uh, movie, it's the same kind of thing where you see like the grungy real world where she's got those things in her eyes, and it looks it's just like so uncomfortable. But you're also like, I want to see more. I want to know what's right. going going on here. Like, where's he going? What's going on? I want to see Harry Styles, uh, like a scruffy <laughs> Harry Styles. But um, Long hair. but yeah, I I thought that was uh, brilliant and really like skin crawling mm. in my opinion. Yeah, I, I did not see the twist coming at all. Uh, but like to to comment on the Harry Styles thing, uh, you know, men out there, you know, even Harry Styles can look like a slob if he doesn't take care of himself. So you know, oh, shave, you do. shave, get a haircut, get a haircut. <laughs> you can clean you under can your look nails. Better. That's all. You yeah. Stop listening do. to podcasts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Like, I did not see uh, the twist coming at all, especially the fact that it was like a virtual reality thing. Like, obviously, it was, I was waiting for some sort of revelation that would tell us more about it, but I thought there was going to be, yeah, something more to do with the actual victory project as mm -hmm. it being some sort of like experimental weapon or some sp sort of like, uh, you know, I, the fact that the ground was vibrating, I thought mm -hmm. was going to play a much bigger part. Did, did that matter? Did, was that just a red herring to be like, oh, that's them working, you know? Because <laughs> they're like, at least they're doing something you know that's how we know they're getting something done but did that come back around and be revealed to be anything like the clearly the, the earthquakes the you know the virtual reality was unstable yeah but it was unstable in a way that was very confusing you know mm -hmm. like why what was going wrong and why wasn't why weren't they trying to like avoid it you know yeah i i was thinking about the truman show where i was watching this mm. the truman show does such an amazing job of giving you the hints you need to figure out what's going on and plays with this idea that like Truman's on a movie set in such fun and memorable ways. You know, when they're at the very beginning of the movie, a light falls from the top and like right in front of Truman's house. And then they make a comment on it on the radio. It's like, Oh, a satellite fell like recently or whatever, you know, to cover up that thing, right. To help kind of, you know, build into the world that something wrong something went wrong and they have to have to fix it and this movie they don't make any effort toward explaining what's happening or even to lie to the characters about what's going on right just they just simply have weird things happening mm -hmm. and they never really connect exactly why things are wrong right if they had established something saying like if the women believe that it's reality then the reality is more stable and every mm -hmm. time they question it it starts to fall apart that would have done a lot for me, yeah. Uh, but I 
I had I, I that's something I just made up just now. Right, right. And I I I liked the twist. I thought it was creative. Yeah. It was fun. I had that whoa kind of moment which you love with a twist, but yeah. the uh the satisfaction that came from uh realizing that these kind of quick cuts of the weird people dancing and the women with their feet like sitting in a circle and like waving their legs around, all that stuff, it was satisfying in that it now made sense. Previous things that I didn't understand now made sense. But yeah, I had no uh, way of being able to see this twist coming. I don't don't feel right. like there were any sort of breadcrumbs let out there that would give me a fair shot at getting to the conclusion first i was always waiting for the movie to explicitly tell me and i don't think there was anything in there that would give you real a uh, real chance at that yeah absolutely yeah i did not see the twist coming um when the twist was happening i got um a little more scared than i was because it was a it was a really <laughs> idyllic place and it was too it was too pretty. So I was like, something's yeah. happening. Something's going down. Obviously, it's not going to be what it seems. So I'm just going to try to figure it out. Um, but when the twist did happen, I feel like when the twist happened, I think for me, it started to make sense. So I was like, OK, well, after this twist happened, I know where the movie is about to go. Um, I think the one thing and I wanted to ask you this as kind of like a follow up to the plot twist. Um, how did you guys feel about uh, how the Victory Project was set up? So even with the um, the rule set, like you can't go into the desert um, or anything like that, or the trolley um, only being able to take you into a circle. Kind of how did you guys feel about uh, the Victory Project as it was set up? Again, like. What exactly is the nature of this right. simulation? You know, like, are those guys NPCs? Do they have a set script, right? It doesn't actually seem like they do. Because yeah. when Florence Pugh is asking the trolley guy, like, hey, can you take me over there? He's like, I just don't go over there. Like, he, yeah. he has an answer for her that's, like, not something that you would program into your guy, necessarily. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, and he acts so weird, like, acts so uncomfortable that it mm -hmm. makes it seem like something like that he's like brainwashed or something but like not that he's like a robot right um also like i mean there's so many ways you could solve this movie it's very annoying right like why don't you have some of your red jumpsuit guys standing at the gazebo stop with guns i was you know? so frustrated <laughs> by the security of the headquarters why can people just walk up to the headquarters why not put <laughs> i'm there's confused only, there's only like what 10 women in this town yes why not put things in their virtual bodies that keep them from going off off base even if you even if you wanted to get heinous with just a shock even just a little ooh, okay let me not go over there why were they able to just why can up? why can women operate the cars right why, <laughs> why? couldn't you make it so that you code into the thing that if a woman gets in a car the car doesn't work you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. And why don't the why were the why when they were chasing Alice, why did they have the red suits have to steal the husband's car to go get her? Yeah. I switch was to, so switch to creative mode. You know, no. just uh, you know, just jump move into to the headquarters. Exactly. <laughs> Slash I just, TP I was so confused. Uh, headquarters and just arrive there. Yeah. Get there. And I, I thought that was so weird. I don't know. It I thought I just thought I was like maybe maybe this is like a beta patch with like fifty seven people in it and they just need to see how it worked <laughs> because there was just so many things in place I was like why were you able to why was that a thing that was able to happen in this simulation I was just so yeah. confused hundred percent agree <laughs> okay 
Well, that is going to end our overall section and bring us to our break. But don't go anywhere because when we come back, we're going to talk about our cool Easter eggs, quotable moments, and our ratings. So stay with us. Hi, this is Arnold Schwarzenegger. This is DJ Jones, nose tackle for the San Francisco 49ers. This is Squilliam Fancy Signed from Band Class. And you're listening to Affable Chat. My favorite podcast. Good eye. I'm an Australian wildlife expert. When I'm out in the outback, I love listening to Affable Chat. It's the best podcast ever. Even the animals love it too. This is Corey Novotny. This is Donnie Dolphin. Oh, it's me, Danny Zuko from Greece. This is Ghislaine Maxwell, and you're listening to Affable Chat. And we're back with Kita. We're going to talk about our cool Easter eggs next. Kita, what have you got? Okay, so I have like two things. Um, so the first thing is Shia LaBeouf was originally slated to star as Jack, um, Harry Styles' character. But much happened behind the scenes to have Shia recast. So um, we have Harry <laughs> in Jack's role. <laughs> yeah, this was... Okay, so this is part of the drama, right? This mm-hmm. is this is actually more of a serious thing than just like, we're, we're thinking about uh, Shia. He was on set recording lines and everything, mm-hmm. but he complained that he didn't have enough time to uh, rehearse. Yeah. And there's there's some confusion about whether he quit or whether he was fired mm-hmm. and some confusion about who he didn't get along with. Because according to Olivia Wilde, he didn't get along with Florence, but there's some evidence to suggest that they actually were getting along fine and there was a different reason why he was recast. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, what was the other thing? Uh, he, apparently he was, uh, I don't know, something has come out recently about his behavior offset. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some sort of, uh, you know, allegations against him. I don't really know the details of it. Um, but it seems like they may have dodged a bullet, um, with that as well. The other thing that's like, that's, that's kind of weird about this is that Harry Styles and Olivia Wilde started dating during the production of this movie. Mm -hmm. She actually broke up with her longtime boyfriend, Jason Sudeikis while he was on Ted Lasso, yeah, which is kind of funny, actually, because that movie's <laughs> about a happy-go-lucky guy who a lot of things go wrong to, mm. wrong with. So he's, uh, you know, and then actually she got served custody yeah. papers while she was while on, stage, on stage uh, talking about this movie. What? Which is, yes. So <laughs> kind of embarrassing. It's really, it was really embarrassing. And she actually <laughs> talked about, like, like she, she, she blames jason for this even though Mm. it's not really fair because if you've ever seen pineapple express you know how like dirty those guys can be about how they serve papers um and this (laughs) might have been the only time that she was like publicly available yeah obviously it's very embarrassing to do this to someone um but in the moment she played it off but later on she she certainly seemed upset about it absolutely um but also like so harry and olivia would apparently disappear for a long Mm -hmm. times on set and this uh, apparently made Florence Pugh upset because they um, wouldn't be available, even though they were supposed to be doing things. Apparently, they were off doing other things. Um, and then uh, there was a whole controversy about whether or not Florence Pugh was even promoting this movie, which seemed super weird to me. All of the social media elements of this, I have to admit, I do not understand because Florence Pugh was promoting this movie, but she was not promoting it 
at the same time or with the same veracity as Olivia Wilde was, which can you even blame her for that? Because Olivia Wilde is the director and, star- and like co-star of this movie. Wouldn't you expect her to be posting about it constantly? Florence Pugh apparently didn't post about it as frequently, which made people suspicious about whether she felt like she was doing that. But in every public statement that she talked about, she said that she liked working on it and that she thought it was a good movie. The only thing, the only criticism she had was that uh, she thought that the trailers and Olivia Wilde's promotion that promoted the sex scenes in the movie undermined the the uh, the material that was actually supposed to be highlighted in the movie, which honestly. Um, I agree with, and that's something that I admire so much about Florence Pugh is that she rarely is sexualized in her movies. She stands apart as being just a really, really solid young actress. Um, and uh, you know, that's something that I think can be a crutch for people that are like attractive in Hollywood. Um, and something that I think will serve her well in a long career. At least I hope so. And so that's uh you know that kind of is not really in her brand necessarily right she's more of like a kind of like a family first type person usually she's kind of into like more traditional family roles that's the that's the role that she usually falls into at least mm-hmm. of the the four movies that we've done with her on this <laughs> podcast so it's uh it seemed contentious at best and then there was like you know there was a whole thing at the uh, Venice Film Awards mm-hmm. where Harry Styles might have spit on Chris Pine but of course that didn't definitely really happen. spit on Chris Pine, but there was de- there was yeah. no yeah, like did it. there was no <laughs> indication that's actually what happened. It just happened to be a weird set of movements between the two men, and neither of them uh, neither of them are have taken that seriously at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harry Styles has joked about it, but in, and of course Chris Pine's publicist has come out to say that this was not true. This never mm-hmm. happened. Why would this even happen? This is a stupid internet r- rumor. So like. Yeah, and then there was like this whole thing where Florence Pugh was supposed to show up for a red carpet event, but then she <laughs> didn't necessarily. She was late, but she was also working on Dune Part Two. Right. And Olivia Wilde says, "Uh, yeah, like you know, it, it's super hard to schedule things when people are busy. So I don't blame her for not being here for this <laughs> thing. It's like, yeah, okay, that seems reasonable. So like, right. was she putting it like was she just trying to avoid them because she still showed up." So I, I, so I feel weird. like people are putting a lot of stock into something that's probably not there, but like the, the onset drama, right? There was con- contention between the cast, between Olivia Wilde and Florence Pugh. There was contention between Shia LaBeouf and other L- uh, characters. And then there was this whole weird promotion that was happening while they were talking about it. Um, but there was another guy, that there, I read this article on something called Push some blog uh, some from ho- some Hollywood insider um and he said that uh he talked to people that were on set and including a, a the cinematographers for the movie and he said that he didn't notice anything weird going on okay. um on set and that if it, anything happened it happened after the production which mm-hmm. contradicts some of the other sources um and maybe you know he's just trying to protect this type of mm-hmm. environment but it seems very flimsy at best that um like anything was really going wrong i think there was probably mm-hmm. some creative differences there was probably a difference in vision you know uh, i think they probably didn't maybe they didn't like each other that much but it doesn't seem like that stopped them from actually doing anything that they wanted to do right i think it was um i agree with kind of it being blown a little bit out of proportion it honestly the drama to me seemed like co-workers not getting along 
um, but they need to make this movie, so they're going to do the best that they can. Right. You know, they still made it. They got it done. You know, the film was still pretty good. Um, so it, that's kind of what it, all it really seemed like. Um, so the drama was a lot, and I felt bad for the film because I know a lot of people knew about this film because of the drama. Um, and I also feel bad for Olivia Wilde as a director, especially a woman director, because of the drama that surrounded it and what the specific drama was. Um, yeah. Well, it's like some of that you got to put on her because she's dating oh, yeah. one of her stars. But also, <laughs> but also I am... I, I get a little conspiratorial about this stuff. When I saw uh, what something that definitely happened, which was Harry Styles <laughs> spitting on Chris Pine, that I was happened. like, "This is a marketing thing. <laughs> they are in like inflating all of these stories about like what happened on set, so that yeah. I'll be interested to see this movie because and it is weird. I don't know if that's an effective marketing strategy, but mm. that's kind of how a, a lot of the headlines for this movie ended up in my feed was because of the weird stuff, not necessarily for the merit, the movie on its own merits. Uh, so I, I don't know. I'm a firm believer in no bad publicity. So uh, yeah. this is just another way to get their, the name out there and maybe get people interested in actually going to the theater for this thing. I, I tend to agree with you, but in my brief research, I didn't see anybody that was like, um, like counteracting this narrative, right? I didn't mm -hmm. see anybody come out and say, oh, this was all for publicity or anything, even though I feel like that would be kind of a good scoop. Mm -hmm. So, I, like, I want to What about the believe... guy who said nothing was, like, going on on set? What, yeah, what about him? Well, it's like if but, they were if such an inflammatory uh, situation on set, wouldn't that have been apparent to him? Well, there were apparently four other sources that said that there was, like, arguments between Florence Pugh and Olivia Wilde who were not named. So, uh, you know, they're, I, I they're, know, they're in on it. You know, they were, I've got my tinfoil on right now. And I'm yeah, saying those I, guys I are all part of the market. I'm not saying that's not possible. <laughs> I just, I just don't know how much evidence there is for that at this point, you know? Sure. And that's the thing is like, I think Keita's right. Like it's possible that they just didn't get along, you know? And, uh, okay. but they still like worked professionally together and, and dealt with it. Right. There mm -hmm. certainly were problems. I mean, Shia LaBeouf caused problems mm -hmm. by, like exiting the movie. So it's, um, I don't know. It's, it, it's just weird altogether. And I, but I also like, I'm also, on, I'm really, I'm on the fence because yep. Benjamin, I do not understand marketing. I see commercials and I say, I do not know why that's supposed to make me want to buy something. <laughs> makes me want to kill myself. <laughs> so I don't Please. know what, I don't know. I don't understand how marketing works. I don't know why people, why people do what they do. So it's possible this was all just some sort of elaborate stunt. Yeah, I think some parts of it after they saw what was taking place and what was picking up ground, I feel like they just ran with it mm. um, because they were like, oh, well, at least they know about the movie. <laughs> so let's let's just roll with it. Um, I will agree with you, Benjamin, about Olivia's part in it, especially with dating one of her employees on set, especially at the time where they were going through her um her divorce um and then also uh the Shia LaBeouf situation now I will say I think a lot of people give a lot of flack to Olivia and her um feminism or at least her take on feminism and what she likes to promote because of the allegations against Shia with the the, the happenings with him um especially because I know we talked about was he fired wasn't he I think Olivia talked about um i think shia came out and said that actually i wasn't fired i quit and we saw there was a video that surfaced of olivia 
um, kind of asking him to see if we can come back and make this work. Mm-hmm. And so when that video surfaced, a lot of people were like, well, do you really uphold these feminist values that you kind of preach and tout if you are asking someone with these allegations against him to come back to to, to your film? Um, and so that that's two strikes that I know I would yeah. give Olivia, <laughs> if anything. Um, but all the rest of the, of the stuff, I think they really just played up for the movie. Just so, I mean, I think that's the only reason why a lot of people knew about it. Um, I think there movie. is actually a bit of a double standard here because I think that mm-hmm. this, you know, male directors uh, flirting with and starting relationships mm-hmm. with female stars is something that happens pretty frequently. Um, I think it is, you know, notable. I don't think people are really necessarily shaming uh, Olivia Wilde too much for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think this is something that does happen. Um, and you know, yeah, Harry Styles is an attractive man. Can you really Very blame much her? So. <laughs> I, I, I certainly can't. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, um, uh, I think that's the drama. You happy now? Right, um, we talked about, we talked about it. <laughs> we did it. Um, and then the last cool Easter egg I have um, was, I'm pretty sure this movie was heavily based on a movie called The Separate Wives. It was a 1970s movie based off of a book with almost the same exact premise as Don't Worry Darling. Um, it was... I think it was more of, uh, I think it was like robot wives in this one. Um, and it, it played off of kind of the, the same exact themes. I read the plot. It was very similar. I didn't watch the movie, but I read yeah, the I, I had, <laughs> I've heard the term Stepford, Stepford Wives, but mm-hmm. until you wrote this year, I, had, I didn't really know that what it was based on. Yeah, yeah it's like, um, I think actually part of the plot is one of the men in the uh, town was a Disney engineer. Which okay. is like a, an allusion to like the animatronics at Disney, right? Um, but I don't. But at least in the Wikipedia summary, they don't. They don't actually tell you whether they are robots or not. But right. that could be a good one. They made. They had a a like more uh, comedy version of it that came out in two thousand four. So maybe maybe we can bring you back, Kita, and talk about that one. That would be fun. That would be so cool. Okay. Those are my Easter eggs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's uh, that is going to bring us to the end of our conversation on "Don't Worry, Darling." Uh, as we do at the end of every episode of Apple Chat, we will now deliver our ratings. Kita, what rating do you want to give to "Don't Worry, Darling"? Yes, I give "Don't Worry, Darling" one line of 1950s multicolor convertibles that could have very well been a bus. <laughs> that's true <laughs> we're all going the same place at the same I, time I was, so, I was like if y'all don't just get on a bus <laughs> why are we all in these cars uh, man that is funny alright Joey what rating do you want to give this movie I give this movie a gigantic glass of champagne that I can take a bath inside of mm, yes. <laughs> and uh, I give this movie a home cooked feast that you knock on the floor while receiving oral sex from your lying boyfriend I said not the potatoes no yeah, please I was like, not the doing? potatoes those look good <laughs> so mad that was my first indication that something wasn't right no exactly. woman in the right mind would knock over that food I know she I know she was working hard over that meal there's no way <laughs> Uh, okay uh, well that is uh, that is it for don't worry darling um, Kita thank you so much for joining us uh, to talk about this movie uh, where can the people find you what do you want to plug uh, uh, you know let, let the people know where you're at 
Yes, thank you so much for having me. Y'all could find me on Instagram at Kita Antoinette. It's at K I T A A N T O I N E T T E. I'm trying to do better at posting more things kind of like this, where I'd kind of do like movie and TV series commentary that I really like. Um, and honestly, just more pop culture content. So that is where you can find me if you kind of want me to hear me talk about that stuff. Thank you guys. Awesome. Yeah. Looking forward and, to that. Yeah. And again, thank you so much. You can find her Instagram at in the description as well. And um, we'd love to have you back sometime, Kita. So thank you. Thank um, you. Joey, what is next on Affable Chat? Next, we are doing Top Gun. Which one you say? Oh, actually, both. We're doing an old versus new. We're bringing back our old segment that we did years ago to talk about Top Gun and Top Gun Maverick. I'm so looking forward to, uh, you know, talking about airplanes and hunks uh you know brooding in their underwear volleyball so this is gonna be fantastic uh but yeah they're looking forward to that on the next episode uh you can subscribe to us on itunes spotify google play or wherever you get your podcasts i challenge you to find a place that we are not on we're on every plat- podcasting platform uh if you find a podcasting platform we're not on let us know you can't do it. You know, it's impossible. Uh, AppleChat.com is your new favorite website on the internet. There you can find the latest from us and all our social accounts, including Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, all of which are at AppleChat, and even our email address, AppleChat at gmail.com. If you like this episode, then tell a friend about it. All you have to say is, have you considered listening to Affable Chat? Apple Chat is live Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern time on Twitch. That's twitch.tv slash Chat. That is going to do it for this episode for Apple Chat. I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening. <laughs>